Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We have been in a series called The Vow. And what we're doing is we're looking at, uh, we're looking at marriage. And what does God say marriage is? Right? What, is, what does God say it's all about? We said that as we look at society in the church and outside of the church, it's not a big difference. Marriages are failing all over the place. People are, uh, are getting divorced rapidly. There's infidelity all over the place. What is, there's got to be a different way, a different way for us to do this marriage thing, a different way for us to hang on. There's got to be something different for God's people. So we, uh, we began looking at it, and we, uh, and, and we started with the first week, and we said, when we go back to the garden, when we go back to creation, we find that God created, God ordained marriage. He's the one that ordained it, and he's the one that will perfect it. And as we looked at that, we discovered that it was all about covenant, and that when God first instituted marriage, he used covenant language. The covenant language is all about the language of forever. The covenant language is, is the commitment that's 100%. It has nothing to do with contracts. Because the covenant is on God's part to his people. And that his people stay in the midst of that covenant by walking with him. But God never ceases the covenant. God gives 100% of himself. God says, I love you and will pursue you. God says, I will not break my word or my promise to you. And we looked at that and said that that is the covenant that we're supposed to have with one another. That when we enter into a marriage, it is to be for a lifetime. It is that we are 100% in. That I, in my marriage, say, I'm in. And over my dead body, we talked about what covenant meant, will I break the covenant? Ah, And just like we to God are oftentimes rebellious, we're, 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 we're disagreeable, we're downright rude, that we don't. God doesn't turn his back on us, and we don't turn our back on our spouse. We also said in that week that it has nothing to do with contracts. The contracts are 50-50. If you do this, I'll do this. If you act like this, I'll act like this. I can't do this because you're not doing that. It's got nothing to do with that. That's 100% in. I'm going to follow Christ and love you in the manner in which Christ tells me to. And we said this, maybe that's not where you've been. Maybe that's not been your experience with marriage. Maybe there's already been a lot of disappointments in your life. Maybe there's been some tragedies within the midst of marriages. Maybe, maybe that's just not where you're at. Maybe you're not married yet, but you want to be. Whatever that day is, that we said that this day, the day that we pronounced covenant marriage, that we step into it, that we begin to live in covenant with our God and our spouse. That's the new day. And then last week we began to look at how do we cultivate that covenant? How do we cultivate it? How do we bring that covenant to covenant around? How do we strengthen that covenant? And we said this, that we got to grow in Christ, our own relationship with Christ. We got to constantly be knowing what Christ wants for our lives and how to be that Christ-like person. We said that we need to submit and serve one another, that we'll lay our life down for the best of our spouse. 
And then we also said we're going to pursue unity. That the consequences of sin was that we would be at literally at war with each other because we'd be trying to outdo one another and outlead one another. And we would try to be right and, and, and be overbearing and dominant of one another. But in Christ, when we submit and serve one another, we find unity and order that God gives us in marriage. And it's an incredible blessing that we no longer have to battle one another. We get to live in our marriage under that covenant with Christ in unity. Today, we're going to talk about how is it that we preserve that covenant? How is it that we preserve that covenant to make sure that covenant doesn't get broken, to make sure that there's no weeds or, or sin that can take hold in the midst of that covenant? I have a question for you. When you entered into your marriage, right? remember, you, you stood on that altar. <laughs> you walked down the aisle. You held hands. The pastor said, do you, I do, I do, do you, I do, do you, I do. And you went back and forth. Yeah, it's so good. It's exciting. It's one of the things the pastor asked you. Did he say, will you be willing to have an affair? Will you be addicted to pornography for the sake of your marriage? Would you give yourself to having an emotional affair? No. Oh, of course that didn't happen. And when you anticipated getting married, you didn't want any of those things to happen. And when you stood on the altar, that was not your plan. That wasn't the plan. Nobody goes into marriage saying these things are going to happen. And yet, one study said that anywhere from 60, from 30 to 60% of all people currently married will be in some sort of an adulterous relationship. It's got to be a different way. It, it can't be that that's what God's plan for marriage was. And it wasn't. God's plan for marriage was holiness. It was righteousness. It was purity. It was between one woman and one man and this amazing marriage. And he gave us the spiritual commitment to him and then to one another. He gave us the emotional commitment to him and then to one another. He gave us the intellectual commitment to him and then to one another. And he also gave us the sexual covenant between him and one another. He absolutely expected us to enjoy. If you think that God is a prude when it comes to sex, then you have not read the pages of Scripture. It is filled with this amazing expression. It's also filled with sin. The Bible holds no punches. It shows how sex is, is, can be used in sinful ways. But so many times it is unpacked in Scripture time and time and time again as, if, as this beautiful, beautiful relationship between a husband and a wife to solidify and to cement that relationship. You can have all sorts of your desires met in all sorts of ways. You can have dinner with anybody you want to have dinner to. Anybody can provide you food. You can have conversation with anybody you want to have conversation with. But it is reserved for the husband and the wife to meet the sexual desires of one another. This morning, if you're in here and you're not married, and you're going to head down that road someday, or maybe you've been down the marriage road and it just didn't end well at all. 
It didn't end, it ended, which wasn't well. And you're looking to the future. This message is absolutely for you. You see, because we can't build a covenant marriage on a foundation of sin. It doesn't work. And so what we have to do is we have to start in our lives right where we are and say, I will pursue holiness and righteousness and purity. I will use sex and my sexuality in the manner in which God intended for me to use it. I will use it to his glory and I will use it within his boundaries. And so I challenge you to today listen in anticipation of where you'll be. This morning, if you're married, then I would challenge you, beware. As we're going to stand guard a little bit this morning, we're going to look at some of the temptations that enter into our lives that seek to rip apart and destroy our marriage. And one of the quickest ways is through our sexuality and through our mind and through our emotions. And it all has to do with that intimacy. It's one of the quickest ways. This morning, if you find yourself as one of those who have, have struggled, if some of the things I'm going to hit on this morning, you're like, man, I've done that. I've been there. I've been the one to start ripping away at my marriage. Then just like the first week, today is a new day. Today is a new day. That as we get to the end of our time today, would you commit your life, your body, your mind to God and to use it only for your spouse? Would you commit that? That today you would repent, which literally means to walk away. That if this is my sin, if this is outside the bounds of what God wanted, then I turn and I walk away differently. And I pursue that which is holy and righteous and good. Leaving behind that which is destructive and painful. Let's look at this. Let's look at how we persevere. How we preserve the covenant marriage. Purity and holiness is the covenant call. Listen to what it said back in Genesis 2 that we've looked at earlier. It says, the man said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman and she will be taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother to be united. That's in every possible way that they would be united. And we talked about that earlier. And they become one flesh. Not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but literally one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. To pursue a right relationship, a covenant relationship, to preserve it, is to have no shame in your marriage. It's to have no sin seeping and steeping and brewing in your marriage. It's to literally be with one another naked and unashamed, knowing that this is God's amazing gift to one another, and it is not being shared or used or given, neither emotionally or physically, to anyone else. And so you come each day, you come each week, you come each month, you, you, you get to your marriage bed each year, and you are unashamed. Because you know that you have held in high regard, high esteem, with the highest intent, admiration, and commitment to God's holiness and his purity. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. 
Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When we just wanted to do whatever we wanted to do. If it felt good, we'd do it. If we wanted it, we got it. We just went after it, whatever it was. We didn't care if God had given us boundaries. We didn't care if God said this is how. We didn't care if God, we didn't care. And that's not just our sexuality. That's with all sin in our lives. We lived in ignorance before Christ, and we just did what we wanted to do. And God said no. Now in Christ, in Christ, there are now boundaries to your life. In Christ, I'll show you how to use the amazing gifts and the life that I've given you. I'll show you how to live it to the fullest. I'll show you how to have the most out of your relationships. I will show you how to preserve your covenant. I will show you the most amazing way to grow your marriage. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We are to be holy in our marriages because it's a holy covenant before God. We as children of God become holy. We're on that process. Remember, it's the, it's the progressive sanctification, learning to live out this relationship with Christ, learning to live holy lives, and we're going to live holy and pure in our marriages. The covenant marriage is about a holy, pure commitment to God and to one another with all that we are. 100% in. If I'm 100% in, then not even a portion of me can be out. If I'm 100% in, then not even a sliver of me could be given to somebody else. If I'm 100% in, then all of me is God's and then my spouse's. God declares what is pure because it's based on his holiness. Listen in Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, every day that we're in the word, you've heard me go back to this now, every single message. You can just know that in almost every message we'll ever talk about it. And almost every time we'll stand together, we'll sit together and open up the word of God. It will come back at some moment to saying, be in the word every day. Drench yourself in the word every day. For how do we know what is holy? How do we know what God expects us to? How do we know what is right and what is wrong? How do we know what is pure and what is not? We have to be in the word for God declares it over and over and over again in his word. He sets our path straight with the word. So we have to be in it. And then soon, it's not a matter of saying, I won't do, I won't do, I won't do. It's a matter of saying, I will do, I will do, I will do, because I want to be just like the holy God. As we are learning who the holy God is, as we are learning his character, as we are learning how Christ lived, as we are learning how he treated people and interacted with people, as we are seeing his teachings, as we read incredible books like Song of Songs and, and we read through the Proverbs and the Psalms, we see this most amazing emotion come out and we see passion in those pages. And we begin to understand how the man or the woman of God in the context of marriage is to live out this amazing passion that God gave us.
Yes, we see the boundaries of where don't go, but it is so much better in our marriages if instead we say, where do we go? And we head towards holiness. We head towards righteousness. So that I look at my life as I'm looking through the pages of Scripture and I say, how do I be more like Christ? How do I live with a more holy response? How do I live with a more pure response? One of the things that we're going to have to do, one of the things we're going to have to know and realize is that secrecy is the enemy to our purity and trust. That secrecy is the enemy of our purity and trust. Listen to what Ephesians 5 says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. I literally hold the word of God up to my life. And I expose the darkness. And I spend no time in secret crevices. I spend no time in secret ways. I spend no time closing my life off. Listen, when there is sin in our life, shame comes. Now that is not from God. It's because we know we're hurting people. Because we know we're living against God. Shame is there. Now, God does bring conviction, and he wants us to turn from that sin and turn towards him. Absolutely. But we know we're hurting somebody else. We know that we're damaging our relationship with our spouse. We know that we are in sin. And what happens is the same thing that happened to the garden. What happened after they ate of the tree of of the fruit of good and evil? What happened after they did that which... God said, don't do. What happened after they were disobedient to God? They said, suddenly they looked and said, oh, we're naked. What happened? We're naked. We did something wrong. And what did they do? They hid. They hid. <laughs> and God came looking for them as if he didn't know where they were. And God came looking for them and, where are you? And they were hiding. They were hiding relationally. They were hiding physically. They were hiding from their interactions. They were hiding from intimacy. When sin enters our life, what do we do? We begin to feel that shame. And then what do we do? We hide. We hide from our spouse. We hide emotionally. We hide intellectually. And we hide our intimacy. It doesn't just have to be a sexual sin that enters in. It's all sorts of sin that enter into our lives. We begin to hide. We begin to pull back. When that sin enters in, we must eradicate it. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But to prevent that sin from entering in in the first place, we must live our lives open with one another. We must not have secrets from one another. It must, our lives must literally be an open book to one another that trust would grow. That trust would grow. We don't pull back. Here's a few ways that we need to begin to have an open book with one another. Our financial accounts, our email accounts, our texting accounts, our social media accounts, all our accounts that have passwords need to be offered to one another. You're like, why? Why is that a big deal? Because it needs to be an open book. Because secrecy 
prevents trust. And yet, openness invites trust. And why do they got to go? Do they not trust me? Why do they got to look at everything? Once you let them look at everything, they'll trust you. Well, you say they can't look at everything, they don't trust you. And you breed distrust. My wife and I, we don't, we don't put passwords on our phone. We don't. We share all of our accounts. She has access to everything I have. She knows everything that comes in and out of my emails. She knows everything that comes in and out of my text. Now, does she always go read it? No. Can she? Yes. Why? Because my life needs to be an open book to her. She needs to be able to trust everywhere I am. I found out a few, day, a few weeks ago that she didn't know where I was going for my appointments during the day. She didn't complain about that. She didn't say, I don't trust you. But we made sure that suddenly our calendars were linked. I want her to know where I am whenever she wants to know where I am. Why? So she can check up on me? So she can follow me? Because she doesn't trust me? No, because I want her to trust me. Because I want her to know that I won't go anywhere that you don't know. That my life is an absolute open book. You can trust everywhere it is. I always put the names of who I'm meeting with as the appointment so she'll know exactly who it is. I put where I'm meeting. And not only so she'll know, so that everybody will know. There's other people on our staff that have access to my calendar. They have access to my emails. They have access to, to my comings and goings on the internet. It's always being scrutinized. There's things I can't get to in case I fumble up and begin to mess up. We put filters on stuff because no secrecy. Everything will be in the open. Everything will be known. Everything will be seen. Everything will be transparent in every way that I possibly can. I don't want to let even a seed begin to grow of distrust or impurity in my marriage. I don't want my wife to even have a moment that she could potentially distrust me and who I am. It's never an invasion of your privacy for your spouse to know who you're communicating with, who are you communicating about, or what you've been doing, who you've been doing it with, or where you've been doing it. To pursue purity Everything has to be open, as well as what our struggles are. The areas of our sin need to be open to one another. Yeah, I I know there's a a really good men's movement, and it is a good one, that we would have an accountability partner and we'd be able to reveal what our struggles are. Absolutely, gentlemen. Ladies, you too. Absolutely. That you have a, a brother or a sister walking through those areas of temptation with you, and holding you accountable. And they, hey, where are you going? What have you been looking at? Hey, you've been spending a lot of time talking to this such and such person at work. What's going on there? Every person needs that accountability from a friend or a brother or a sister. But our spouses need to know what our struggles are. They need to know where our sinful temptations are. They need to know what's coming at us. And for some of us, As a spouse, we're like, no, no, I don't need to know. Yes, you do. You're the first one to pray. You're the first one to get on your knees. You're the first one to fight for your spouse. You're the first one to want godliness and holiness. You're the first one to ask questions, is everything okay? One of those first moments hit Chris and I, and it was right here in this church. We've been married for about five or six years while we were here, and I was about to meet with a a parent it was a parent who was going through a struggling marriage. She wanted to talk to me about her, her kids who were in our youth group. And she was a, a very attractive woman. 
she was uh, a little bit uh, outgoing. And that morning, I just sat my wife down and I said, hey, I I have this meeting and it's with so-and-so and I need to have it. I need to take it. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in the offices. Uh, There's going to be people in the offices. I want to make sure my door is wide open. And that's how I'm going to engage in the meeting. I'm going to sit across from her and not next to her. I won't shake a hand. I'm not going to put my hand on her shoulder. We're going to talk. We're going to pray. And we're going to leave. And she said, so am I understanding that this might be a struggle for you? I said, not if you're praying. I'm committed to God. And I'm committed to this church. I'm committed to that youth group. And I'm absolutely wholly committed to you. There's an enemy that seeks to destroy and devour. Pray for me today. She did. She called me later on a day. She goes, how'd it go? Great. I gave her the name of a counselor. And that's who she'll be meeting with from now on. She goes, good. And we did that all the time. She knew my struggles. She knew where I could have temptation. She knew what my issues were. She knew where I would have lustful thoughts and where I could turn my back easily and where I would stumble. And I knew where it was for her. And I prayed for her. And I held her up to God. And I fought for her and the purity of our marriage that all that was exclusively ours would be ours that would never be shared with another. That must be how we do it. To live our lives in open and with a lack of secrecy. I understand that this could be trouble or this could be difficult in a particular culture like this where many of us in this room, shouldn't even include my name in there, many of you in this room have to live your, your occupational life in secret. That, many, that a lot of what you do, you cannot share with anyone else. You don't get to, there's a whole part of your life that is lived in secret. I get it. Don't bring that into your marriage. Don't bring that attitude. Don't bring that posture. Don't bring that discipline into your marriage. As long as it's not ethically wrong or it's not against the law, you share everything with your spouse. You keep secrecy away from your marriage. We have to guard and got to guard purity, which will also build trust. If secrecy tears down trust, then guarding your purity builds up trust. Just like we talked about with sharing in the open with one another those areas that we're tempted in. And helping one another in the midst of that. We have to guard our purity. And that will build trust. Proverbs 5.8 says this. Keep to a path far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Literally, I'm supposed to walk the opposite way of temptation. And so often in our lives, we walk right into temptation. And we're like, hey, that looks like a really good box. Let me go open it up. No. Steer clear. Stay far away. Don't go there. Listen to how Jesus put it in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He took it to a whole new level. Jesus said, you have this amazing relationship with your spouse, and it is for you and them, and that's it. Don't even look lustfully at another woman. Don't look lustfully at another man. Don't desire at any point And your life for that is equal to adultery because that is your motivation. Your heart has already started going down that road. Don't let it happen. 
And he said this. This is how serious I am. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than to have your whole body go to hell. <laughs> Went to a men's group one time, and it was called uh, Men of Integrity and Accountability. And I was like, hey, this is going to be great. I walked in. There's a bunch of guys walking around with one eye and one arm. Hey, that's a joke. But even when I wrote it out, I was like, I don't know if that's going to work. I got more. But here's the thing. The idea is that Jesus wasn't really saying, gouge your eye out. No. He wasn't really saying, cut off your arm. He was saying, get rid of whatever that is that's sinful. Get it out of there. Whatever it is that can cause you to sin, get it out. See it from afar. We tie that to the Proverbs. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. I'm walking through life and I'm looking because I care so much about my marriage. I am in a covenant with my God and my wife. I'm growing to be like Christ, wanting his way for my life, wanting to live that way out in my marriage, wanting to be the most amazing spiritual leader in my family that I can possibly be, wanting to submit my life to my wife so that it's fully hers. I'm walking down this path of life. I'm like, whoa, hey, oh, hey, I, I see that. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of it before I ever get there. I'm going to guard against purity, against unpure things. I'm going to guard against sin, and I'm going to get rid of them as fast as possible. Let's take a look at what some of that looks like today. Guard your minds, what it is that you're watching, that you're seeing, that you're looking at, that you spend your time thinking about. Guard it. Is it holy and right and pleasing and admirable and pure? Remember when we talked about that in Philippians? Does it honor God? Is it a holy thought, or is it? A sinful thought? Is it one that's growing you closer to your spouse as you're growing closer to God? Or is it one that's pulling you away? Guard your mind. We don't let thoughts creep in there and begin to take root and grow. When we see that, we gouge it out. We get rid of it. We discard it as fast as possible. And we begin to think about those things that are holy and right and pure and good and godly. Don't flirt. And don't allow others to flirt with you. It feels good, but it's not innocent. It's just not. I'll never forget, I was in a, a restaurant one day, and I was married, and my brother was married, and, and we were talking and doing whatever. It was in the first couple years of my marriage, and we walked away and sat down. And he goes, what are you doing? Eating my, my lunch. What are you doing? He's like, why were you flirting with that cashier? I wasn't flirting with the cashier. I was just being nice. He goes, that's a lie. You were flirting. Took a step back, and I was. Took a step back, I really enjoyed her attention. Took a step back, I embraced her attention. I took a step back, I looked at what I said, what I did. I kept coaxing the interaction. Yeah, that was flirting. I was allowing something to happen in my emotion, in my, in my life that my wife was supposed to bring about. And I was allowing a cashier at a fast food restaurant to bring it about. Because I entered into this game of flirtation. You're married. It's for your wife or for your husband. That's it. We don't flirt with other people. We can be nice and we can be kind and we can be courteous and we can be generous with our, our compliments. But that's it. There's no flirtation. What is flirtation? It's the over-attentive compliments. It's the physically attentive 
compliments. It's okay to say somebody looks nice. Wow, you look hot in that dress. Wow, that dress really accentuates your, your, your great body. You've been working out lately? Right, we know what it is. We know where we cross that line. Or why is it that this one person, I always comment on how she's dressed week after week after week after week. You're flirting. You're flirting. Inside jokes that you only have with that one person. Flattery that should be reserved for the one you love and are in a covenant with. Sexual joking and prodding. It's gone. It's out. You don't do it. It's not there. It opens you up to impurity. It opens you up to lust. It opens you up to thoughts that belong only with your spouse. It's that electric spark that you recognize that stirs you that you always want to go back for. When that electric spark spurs and that, that interaction starts to happen, whoa, 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 go away. I don't know how that'll work in the office, but maybe. But we go away. We know that we can't go back to that interaction again. We know that now that interaction is off bounds. And we hold it as an unholy interaction. We don't allow relationships to become more intimate and more trusting than the one we have with our spouse. It's the most intimate and trusting relationship we have. You know, they know me better than my spouse. Never. Never. I, I trust them more than I trust my spouse. You're out of bounds. You're out of bounds. Guard against it. Don't let that happen. Cut off that relationship. Gouge it out. It has no place in your life. They, you know, they get me. And my spouse doesn't. Yeah, they're, they're always complaining or they don't like what I want to talk about and she does or he does. It's boom, that's it. Be on guard. See it coming. Walk the other way. Be gone. Don't be alone with the opposite sex. Don't drive alone with them. Don't eat meals alone with them. Don't exercise alone with them. Don't work long hours alone and isolated even if it means you got to change jobs. You protect your marriage at all costs. All costs. You guard against it. You don't allow the opposite sex to touch you in a sexual manner. You know what those are. Those prolonged hugs. Those frontal hugs don't seem to stop. You know it. And never allow somebody to touch your face. It's an incredibly intimate and erogenous zone. It's reserved for your spouse. Guard against impurity. Guard against the seed that will grow. Don't invite someone else into your marriage bed, physically, emotionally, or in your imagination. It is reserved for your spouse and nobody else. And finally, the do. The do. What's the best way to guard for your sexual purity? What's the best way to guard the purity of your covenant? Have sex with one another in the context of your marriage. It's good. And the Lord calls us to do that. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 3-5. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. What? What it says. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. That's what it says. And the wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Now, we talked about authority and submission last week. It's always to serve. 
It's always for the betterment. It is always for their best. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. There could be a season of your life that you need to give more over to God, that you need to be more focused and centered on what God's doing in your life, and so you will hold back. Maybe there's a sickness or an illness you're going to need to hold back. Yeah, okay. Other than that, we give ourselves to one another. And why would God put something like this in there? Why would he say this, that we are to meet one another's needs? And it's supposed to be frequently to meet one another's needs. It's supposed to be to care for those needs that we have for one another. Remember we said in the beginning, anybody can meet all the other needs, but only your spouse can meet this needs. And why did he say that? He said it this. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We lack self-control. And we have this desire that can only be met. And so let's not let that go unattended to. So what is the greatest way that we can guard our heart? (laughs) We care for one another. We take care of one another's needs. We make sure that they're our priority and not somebody else. Finally this, repent and turn away. Forgive and draw near. Build a loving trust. People who conceal their sin will not prosper, says Proverbs. If they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You want God to build up your marriage? Confess, repent, turn from where you've been. Allow God to build you up. Confess to one another the sin that's been lurking in your marriage. Allow God to heal it and to forgive one another, looking forward to what is ahead. And build that trust. Remember the word, I love you? Remember that phrase? Here's what it means. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. I love you means that we can come to one another with our deepest secrets. We can come to one another and open up our lives. We can come to another where we failed. We can come to one another with our temptations. And we can come to one another with our confessions and say, I have failed, but I want to walk in covenant with you. I want to walk in grace with you. And we can offer that grace and that mercy to one another. We can. And there will be healing for our marriages. And there will be a future and a hope for our marriages. And our marriages will be different. We're going to end with this song this morning. And it's really a call to repentance. The song is a call to where have I gone in the midst of my marriage? Where have I been in my mind and my heart? How have I lived out covenant? And Lord, I want to have clean hands before you and a clean heart. I want to come before you, and I know that you offer forgiveness, and I know that you offer life, and I want that life, and I want to commit my marriage to you for all the days forward, all of them. If that's you, if there's any way we can pray for you this morning,
If we can pray over your marriage, we'd love to. Laura's going to be up here, and I'm going to be over here. And as we sing this song, if we can pray over your marriage for you, if we can walk with you in any way, then we want to. But let us confess our hearts to God. Let us be of clean hands and a clean heart. Let us make the commitment to guard our hearts that they would be pure before the Lord.